Welcome to the Korea Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Chung Min Kim, the Editorial Director of Korea Pro. And I'm John Lee, the Editor of Korea Pro. Join us for a weekly 15-minute conversation as we dive into the most pressing stories shaping South Korea and dissect the most complicated ones for you. From politics to culture, technology to society, we've got you covered. So stay ahead of the curve and never be sidelined again. So get ready for a fresh perspective on South Korea's news. This is the Korea Pro Podcast. We have a lot of business-related news this week. Um, we're recording on Wednesday, February 7th, and we will start off with the Cheonggung missile sales, which was one of the biggest news in South Korea this week. The defense minister, Shin Won-sik, he was in the Middle East, still in the Middle East, I think, um, for seven days visiting Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and the UAE. And LIG Next One's Cheonggung, the MSAM interceptors, Saudi Arabia bought them. How big was the deal? Now, if I remember correctly, it was $3.2 billion, mm. and it was for 10 batteries. Mm. But for those of us listeners who are not familiar with all of these abbreviations, LSAMs and mm. MSAMs, could you quickly run them down? What are they? Right, just quickly, it's not the first time that South Korea's LIG Next One sold these uh, Cheonggung slash MSAM uh, interceptors because the similar scale of a deal happened with the UAE in mm. the past. Um, LSAM and MSAM, so SAMs, are, they usually refer to interceptors. They're basically missile-busting missiles. Surface-to-air missiles. Surface-to-air missiles. South Korea developed it um, in case North Korea fires any missiles at South Korea, basically. And then uh, you know that there's THAAD from uh, United States and also Patriot missiles as well, right? Sure. MSAM and LSAM were developed by South Korea to partly complement or ultimately um, replace some of them, especially considering how China is super allergic to the concept of thought. The thought system, first of all, it, it covers medium to high altitude interception ranging from 25 to 90 miles. And upon deployment, LSAM will target medium altitudes, which means that only partly complementing thoughts. So thoughts not going anywhere. Which makes a lot of sense for Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And MSAM-2, the current version, and the U.S. Patriot system, they ensure protection of the range from 9 to 25 miles at a, at a bit of a lower spectrum. So the, these ones that South Korea sold this time to the to Saudi Arabia are these medium-altitude ones, the K-Patriots is what the Middle Eastern countries has been buying. And read my analysis for a little more. I assume that they're cheaper than the actual U.S. Patriot missiles. Right. So I, I'm just thinking they are particularly interested in MSAMs. I'm just wondering why. Well, uh, the Middle Eastern countries, I mean. As I said earlier, it makes sense for Saudi Arabia because of what's going on in Yemen. Mm. Uh, with all of the missiles that Houthi rebels have been launching, they're not exactly hypersonic ballistic missiles. These are low to medium range missiles, anti-ship missiles. And to target those missiles, MSAMs, well, it sounds like they would be most ideal and within their budget. Do you think that there are any countries that are potentially uh, interested in LSAM purchases in the future? So because I read that some of the Middle Eastern countries seemed interested in the Pass. Well, that's a really difficult question to answer because, yes, uh, the LSAMs have been recently developed and they're cheaper, but they have not yet been tested in the field. Mm. They might be tested going forward in Saudi Arabia, but right now, the ones that have been really tested are the Patriot missiles. Mm. Will the LSAMs be able to compete with something that has been tried and tested and true for decades? That remains to be seen. Right. The, this topic
topic sort of spills over to the North Korea realm of things, but I, I must mention with a lot of North Korean missiles also being used in many parts of the world right now for what some people refer to as testings of these missile interception technologies. What, what does it mean that South Korean interceptors are being used in these regions? You know, if someone had said 50 years ago that eventually the two Koreas are going to be engaged in a proxy war with global conflicts halfway around the world, they would have been laughed out of the room. But that's mm. exactly what's going on right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. And, well, we will see in what kind of scenarios these interceptors will be used. But uh, just touching on this arms expert topic, just very quickly, there were a lot of espionage or more like leak cases in the defense industry. These are really, really concerning uh, with a lot of arms exports going on in South Korea in the past few years. And of course, there are a lot of developments going on, including the LSEM and MSEM, which will be developed in the next 10 years. And there are a lot of other stuff that South Korea right. made. And well, John will be writing an analysis about this, but just quickly, what what's what's this all about? What are the leaks? Okay, firstly, I'm writing this analysis and we'll be going out today, today being Wednesday. And um, the leak that we're specifically talking about in this instance is not an actual leak, but an attempted leak. Mm. We don't know how many were involved. The South Korean government did not specify, but the South Korean government did announce that some Indonesian engineers who were involved with the joint KF-21 fighter jet program had mm. been trying to steal blueprints of the jet fighter through their USB drives. Just quickly, what's KF-21? The KF-21 is South Korea's 4.5 generation fighter jet, which is currently under development. Mm. They've only pr uh, produced six prototypes. They've completed all, the, all their flight tests last year. But this program is under joint development with between South Korea and Indonesia. Hmm. South Korea pays for 60% of it, Indonesia pays for 20%, and Korea Aerospace Industries, the company that makes this uh, plane, pays the other 20%. The cost was already controversial because of Indonesia, wasn't it? A little bit. The Indonesia's uh, share, which is 20%, comes up to about $1.3 billion. Hmm. But anyway, the cost-sharing thing is a different matter altogether for now. But to, the main point is, these Indonesian engineers had tried to steal this information through the USB drive. Now, how they got the USB drives inside this uh, location, what kind of blueprints were stolen, they didn't specify, but they are under investigation. And the South Korean government has said that they will be cooperating with Indonesia to find out just what they were stealing, why they were stealing that information, and to whom they might be trying to sell the information to. This is hypothetical, but what, what if it was for Indonesia state-run company? Will they cooperate really? Well, it wouldn't really make a lot of sense to steal it for Indonesia because the deal was mm. that once this whole thing was mass-produced, South Korea would actually sell a lot of these units to Indonesia and would also provide Indonesia with some of the detailed knowledge on how to make them. Mm. So the final consumer of this stolen information might not actually be Indonesia. Okay, then that's really weird. Which is why the Indonesian government said that their engineers would provide full cooperation. I see. But regardless of what has happened, this is just the latest example of technology leaks that has happened in Korea. Mm. Just this past month, a company named Sino Inotech, if I'm not mistaken, the engineers in that company had taken blueprints for Korea's latest submarine designs and sold that to Taiwan. Oh, that was a big news. It was very big and they were indicted, but five days after they were indicted, the court threw out the case mm. saying that there was no evidence to support that the technology that they leaked was quote-unquote military goods mm. that required the South Korean government's permission. But whether or not that's actually the case, that's also another technology leak. And four years ago in 2020, at least 23 former researchers who worked at the Agency for Defense Development had quit 
and brought tens of thousands of stolen documents and just took them all to external countries. Mm. And these documents had been talked about uh, AI software, missile development programs, <laughs> all of the most high-tech weapons being developed and just took them all off and just... And currently bread and butter of South Korean arms exports industry. Exactly. And they took off with them. And this is just four years ago. And so this... 2020. In 2020. This was actually very underreported in international media, right? It was. It was reported heavily in the South Korean media. But for some reason at the time, it just did not get a lot of but international traction. But it's being traction brought up again, the issue, right? Because of how this seems to be an ongoing issue. So what do you think is the fundamental reason why these leaks are happening or you know, just went unnoticed or whatever. The South Korean government has for years, not just the government, the military, the, the NIS, the National Intelligence Service, they've been saying for years that they take security seriously, hmm. information technology specifically, but that's what they've been saying. Hmm. When it comes to actual practice, it doesn't seem to be that case because if they did, this wouldn't be happening over and over again. Not to mention that we know for a fact that the cybersecurity measures they have for government gadgets and government employees. It's very... Kind of like Swiss cheese <laughs> with a lot of holes. <laughs> All right, next topic, the business sector again. There was a major news, really. Um, Lee Jae-yong, the head of Jay Lee, more like, um, uh, the chairman of Samsung, he was acquitted. Of all charges, of oh. all 19 charges. And what were the charges initially by the prosecutors? Well, the big ones were, if, I, if I'm if i looking at my list correctly, it says breach of trust, stock price manipulation, and accounting fraud. Mm, it, re- it regards the merger of two of the subsidiaries, yeah, right? Yeah, it uh, regarded the merger of Samsung Electronics and Tail, which mm. were uh, affiliates... Tail Jedang. Mm. Which were affiliates of Samsung Group. Now, back in 2015, when Lee Jae-yong's father was still the de facto leader, but... Mm very much in what was allegedly said a vegetative state. I was going to say as old as Biden, but okay. Well, that too. (laughs) Was he? I don't know. But anyway, uh, as far as operations were concerned, Lee Jae-yong was pretty much the man in charge, Mm. but they needed to make this formal. And to do that, they decided to merge these two affiliate companies. And... A lot of allegations were made that tails, mm. uh, share prices were overinflated mm. so that they could match what was going on at uh, Samsung. And this had a lot of negative effects for investors. But what eventually happened was that despite a lot of domestic and international opposition to this merger, it went ahead anyway and it helped uh, Lee Jae-yong become Samsung's chairman. What did the prosecutors think was the reason for the merger? Now, the prosecutors were saying that this was done specifically to prolong the, the Lee family's control of the business. It's a lot like North Korea, the hereditary control of the business empire. Right, and not to mention that there are so many subsidiaries, I can't even count all of them, that are all led by Lee family members or relatives like, you know, Ku family for LG and sure. so on and so forth. All the South Korea's conglomerates pretty much operate this way. It's a one big giant family operation. I guess it's one Korea, sort of. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that gets both the two Koreas share in common. But what happened was that at the, the judge at this court said they have no evidence to suggest that there was any foul play, that this was done specifically to enhance the family's control of the business. Right, they were basically saying that there was no, not enough proof to, sh- to show that intention. Right? Exactly. And so despite what every observer has said that that was the intention, the judge must have seen something else because he said there was no evidence to point that out. But but that's kind of controversial and kind of weird if 
you know, international observers read the verdict because, you know, no proof for intention. Well, it did happen. Yep. So I, I just don't get it really. What would be some of the international controversies looking at the ruling? The ruling would be that, especially when we consider what happened in 2015, mm. one of the biggest foreign critics of this merger deal was Elliott Management. Right. Elliott Management. Oh, that was a big deal. It was a very big deal, and it got really ugly. For too. years. For years. Not only ugly from the business-to-business sort of conflicts, it became a legal battle for years, and it also brought up a lot of ugly anti-Semitism in Korean media as well, which was scrubbed from a lot of those websites after that accusation was brought up, Mm. but it got ugly. Mm. And when these foreign and domestic investors opposed this, they just went ahead with it. And a lot of the commentary was saying that, oh, these are just foreign hedge funds trying to come in and soak up Korean uh, companies. But anyway, regardless of what was going on at the time, the argument was that this was going to severely disadvantage investors mm. so that just one person, Lee Jae-yong, would be able to benefit. And eventually, uh, Elite Management was granted a fraction of what the damages that they had sought for by the South Korean government. Mm. Uh, this happened last year, I believe, in July. Mm. And that was kind of the end of that. But fast forward to just this year, and suddenly Lee Jae-yong is no longer guilty of that. Mm. Unlock the full Korea Pro experience by joining our community. Stay informed, stay ahead, and never miss a beat on Korean affairs that matter. Subscribe today and transform the way you understand Korea. All right, let's move on to the week ahead segment. Next week, the two major parties in South Korea will continue to fight over this controversy regarding what the rule will be for the April election. Election laws so technical um i'm writing about this but yeah this will be one of the top domestic headlines in the coming weeks actually sure now i also wrote about this briefly last week but even while i was writing it i was a little bit confused about all these different terms so since you're writing about this more in depth this week maybe you can enlighten our listeners viewers and me as to what exactly is really going on i actually had to study this again because even as a citizen who voted uh, based on before as well under this system it's just really really confusing and that first of all is also a controversy per se because election systems are supposed to be consistent consistent and you know ordinary voters should be able to understand them Mm -hmm. but just very quickly there are three major types of um, election system. One is um, mixed member majoritarian, uh, second one is the mixed member proportional representation, and the current one, which Lee Jae-myung, the leader of the opposition Democratic Party, decided to maintain is a semi-MMP, the mixed <laughs> proportional sorry. representation. Sorry, so these are the terms. Okay. MMP, MMM, and then semi-MMP. Okay. The current one is semi-MMP, and that's what the DP is maintaining. Okay, DP being the Democratic Party. Democratic Party. It's really complicated, so if you want to know more, read my analysis. But just very quickly, what the difference is, is that how you count how many seats the parties get at the end of the day. sure. For the usual MMM, the mixed-member majoritarian one that Mm -hmm. South Korea used to do until the 20th general election, was basically uh, voters vote twice. One is for the district candidate, one is for the parties. And it's very straightforward. If the party gets 10% of the party voting system, Mm -hmm. they get 10% of the 
representational. Okay, so that's easy to understand. Why did we switch to this really difficult to understand system? Right. The intention was to give more opportunity for minor parties, smaller parties, to be able to get the proportionate seatings in 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 the parliament. But how did that work out? It did not work out, and it's not going to work out in the next election either.、Um, and why didn't it? Well, because a lot of satellite parties were created when South Korea changed to the mixed-member proportionate version, but a semi one. But what's a satellite party? Well, satellite parties.、Um, I should explain what the mixed-member proportional is first of all. Okay. MMP mixed-member proportional, not the semi one. There are three hundred seats for South Korean. Uh, National Assembly. Sure. Let's say a party named John John Party won ten percent of the party votes. Now, why would I want to do that? <laughs> and then you won also district candidates. Ten、uh, district candidates won. Okay. In that case, you get ten percent of the seatings, right? Okay. That means thirty in total. Sure. And you got ten who are elected、uh, in district. Okay. Which means there are twenty left. Okay. And then you get representational vote、uh, seats, twenty seats. Okay, it's pretty straightforward as、All、well.、Right. But but、uh, South Koreans decided that this has issues, so they made it into something a lot more complicated. Let's say you got ten percent again. Okay, for the party vote. All right. So you need thirty. Yes. Thirty seats, right? Right. Let's say that you got six for the district vote. Six candidates won. All right. And then you have twenty-four left. Okay. But you don't get twenty-four. You only get twelve. Why not? So that they can give more opportunity for smaller parties is the intention. But I won. Why should I give them away? But that was the rule, and Jemin is keeping it.、Right. And because they want this proportionate seating. But why do they want it? Surely it's not because they want to help the little guys. No, that's why they're creating the satellite parties because they want、okay. to put a satellite party that looks like a minor party, and then after the election they will merge it so、okay. that they can get the majority. So this is just all sleight of hand. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. Right. If you want to know more, read my analysis. And reminder: if you want to know the full schedule of the coming week, categorized by sector for diplomats, businesses, and those who monitor domestic politics, we issue Monday week ahead newsletter every week. Subscribe for more. All right, sounds good. And that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to know more, sign up for our daily executive briefings. We brief you on all you need to know from the past twenty-four hours and why they matter every morning in your inboxes. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for your weekly dose of insight. And until next time, I'm Jungmin Kim, and I'm John Lee. Stay connected, stay informed, and we'll see you next time on the Great Pro Podcast.